For all the rest of us, let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And we are making progress in the book. Now we flipped the page on a new chapter, so that's always a, a good feeling when you're studying through a book. And um, this morning we want to we have entitled the message, Why Every Moment Counts. And, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways to respond to the, the whole topic of wisdom in, in our lives under the sun. And one of the things that, that Solomon is really quick to point out, because he's just so honest about all of these things, is no one, no one is going to live a perfect life, 100% wisdom, 100% of the time fearing the Lord. That's just not going to happen. And, and some of us are like, man, I wish it could happen. I, and me too. I, I wish that that's what my life reflected. I wish that that would be 100% of the time. But the question becomes, how do you respond to that truth? And many people, the first response is like, well, if I, if I can't per- be perfect and I can't do it all the time, then you know what? Que sera, sera. I'm just, whatever. Whatever happens, it'll be. I'll just kind of move through life. You know, I'll bump into wisdom when I need something big from God. I got a big decision. You know, I'll come back to the word of God and try to get some insight. Uh, you know, I might even talk to a pastor if I've got a big decision to make. Something like that. And we kind of live our life just maybe bumping into wisdom or trying to grab it from other places when we need it, but then seeing really no value for it any other time. And many people respond to life that way. In fact, if we're being honest with ourselves, you know, think about when crisis hits your life, trials hit your life, how, how oftentimes that's the immediate responses that go back to the Lord. Then you're thinking to yourself, well, where, where's the Lord been the last three months? <laughs> when everything's been going smooth and I haven't really needed him. And so oftentimes we respond that way. The second way is, is I think, the design that Solomon would have. You know, wisdom's got limitations, but wisdom's always going to be better. So highly value it. Highly value wisdom. Make it a priority. Don't just say, well, I'm going to take today off or I'm going to dip my toe in sin, but to say there is value in walking consistently in wisdom and value walking um, inconsistency, fearing the Lord. And, and one of the things that we're going to see, I think, from the passage, it's, it's a subtle, but I think it's a very important point. Wise men, wise people understand this, that you cannot afford to walk according to the flesh for one moment. You know, and that's the thing that, that I don't think, um, you know, there, there's times in our life, you know, I think, of, I think of Job in the Old Testament. And I think Job gets into a situation. He's kind of at first, you know, you, you guys know the story. He loses everything. He's kind of questioning why God is allowing it, but he still has a good attitude. He's like, well, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then he starts to ask God questions. It's almost like as his friends stay around longer, they like stir him up more. You kind of notice that about the story. He starts almost kind of getting to a point of complaint. And then God just comes out of a whirlwind and starts peppering him with questions that say, Job, you don't know. There's a, there's a bigger picture going on here than what you can see. And I, and I just love Job's response because he, he doesn't say, I abhor my actions. He says at the end, I abhor myself. There, there's a difference between abhorring something you've done wrong and realizing the depth of evil that dwells within us called a sin nature. And understanding that that thing, whatever you want to call it, the power of sin, indwelling sin, wants to drag you down and dominate you. And, and we live through life as if we don't have a mortal enemy trying to do that all of the time. 
And so we, we have this view like, oh, I can, I can do my, my church thing on Sunday. I can do my spiritual thing on Wednesday night. I can do that at my devotion. But the rest of the day, the rest of the time, that's all mine. And I'll be totally safe living life according to my own strategies, the way I want to do things. I'll be totally fine. And we don't understand what the sin nature is capable of doing when it dominates your life, even as a believer. And, you know, one moment of carnality can lead to a lifetime of hurt. One moment of carnality can impact the, the exact course of your life. It can destroy families. It can destroy your family. It can destroy your marriage. It can destroy your children. It can destroy your grandchildren. One moment. And we can't afford to walk out of fellowship with the Lord for one moment, you know, and the sad thing about it is we're going to because we're not going to be in fellowship with the Lord 100% of the time. And that truth right there ought to scare the daylights out of us because of what sin is capable of doing and what sin always produces, which is death. And this is why Solomon, it's like every moment counts. Don't, don't just go through life, case sarah, sarah, who cares? Whatever it'll be, it'll be. I got away with that this time. It's not a big deal. It, it is a big deal. God has designed you for fellowship with him. He wants it more than you want it. He wants intimacy and relationship more than you want it. He doesn't want you just taking biblical principles and living independently of him. It's always relational with God. It's always relational. Imagine if you're in a relationship and, and somebody just, uh, you know, sends you a, a, an email that, that says, I love you, but they never say it to you in person. They never show love when they're in person. At some level, that becomes mechanical. That becomes non-relational. God is into relationship. God wants to hold your hand through life. He wants to be that close to us. And yet oftentimes, we don't think that way. We're okay just bringing him in on, you know, we got three seconds left on the clock and we need a Hail Mary. Oh, let's bring God in. He's, he can catch that ball. And that's how we live our Christian life oftentimes. Every moment counts. This is why in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, the life that I now live, um, I live for the one who died for me and rose again. That's just why in Galatians 2.20, it says the life I now live, I, I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. Every moment counts. God wants to accomplish something in and through your life, and every moment counts. And this is one of the things we've got to understand getting into this section. But then we come to verse 1. It's just a little weird. It's, it's like... Culturally, like what is he trying to say is we've got to dig into the culture a little bit. But verse one says this dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment, cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. And, and, you know, like we said last week, folly has dangers. Wisdom has limits, but wisdom is always better. That's always the better decision. We're going to kind of see that play out. Uh, in this in this verse here. So what does he mean? Well, he's going to give an everyday example to his audience that they would completely understand. It's just us that that don't understand what's going on here. We need a little, I mean, we can kind of put it together, but let me give you what one commentator said to maybe put it on, on our level to understand what's going on. He's saying that dead flies putrefy the perfumer's, perf, perfumer's ointment would be akin to saying there's dog poop in the brownie batter, Right? That, that kind of brings it into perspective, right? So, so how much dog poop and the, do, the brownie batter would, would be enough for you not to eat those brownies? 
Right, exactly. Thank you for the answer. That's right. Any amount of dog poop in the brownie batter would be, that brownie's off limits. Just put it in the trash. Like, I'll even go to Kroger and buy another box. Like, inconvenience myself. We're not going to do that. This is kind of the idea of what's communicated here. And so as we kind of go through, let's explain this uh, contextually. A perfumer in Solomon's day was somebody who prepared and mixed aromatic products. So colognes, perfumes, exactly like we would think. And then these flying insect, which when literally tra- translated meant flies of death. And one of the reasons they were, they were called flies of death is they, when they died, their, their bodies would release their excrement. Okay, and it provided a stench. There was this kind of fly that you would find. And they were attracted to perfumer's ointment. But once they got into the ointment, guess what would happen? They couldn't get out. They would die, and it would turn that whole batch of perfume into something that stunk. The exact opposite of what it was designed to do. And so what's the point of this example? Well, here's the point. Something that's designed to be good, something that's designed to be useful, something that has uh, uh, benefits to different kinds of people was ruined by something as small and insignificant as one of these flies. That's the point of the example. So what's the application? Well, we see this at the end of verse one. He says, so does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. And so in the same way, and this is why it's important, just a little bit of folly, even in a life that of somebody who's known for wisdom, just a little bit of folly can cast doubts on that person's wisdom. They can, they can lose value in others' eyes. They can lose honor in others' eyes. And, and you know, you probably have examples in your life where, um, you know, somebody that you've looked up to for many years, and then they do something really foolish, and it impacts the way, and it's maybe just one thing, but it impacts the way that maybe you think about them going forward. Part of that's probably good for us, because I think we oftentimes put people on a pedestal, and they don't belong there, you know. I, I, I even, just, just growing up, you know, just growing up as a kid, you know, sometimes mom and dad are up on a pedestal, and then you get older, and you see, like, they're normal people, just like me. They, they make mistakes, just like I do. They're not perfect, just like I'm not. Um, and, and I thought they were before, but, you know, as, as, as you mature, you, you go through that, that, anyways, that's a whole nother topic, but you, just as you're learning about your parents, but that's a great example of somebody that you might've had on a pedestal, um, and then you see them maybe do something foolish. And this is one of those things, and this is why it's so important. There are things in life that require more consistency than others to be effective. Wisdom's one of those things. You know, I, I used to play baseball, so forgive me if I use baseball analogies, but this makes sense to me. You know, in baseball, when you're batting, your, your batting averages, if you get a hit three out of 10 times, okay, that's not a high success rate, by the way, but in baseball, that'll make you a Hall of Famer. That's, that's called a 300 batting average, you'll go to the Hall of Fame. But if your fielding percentage in baseball were three out of 10, you wouldn't even make it out of the minor leagues. I know. I know how that works. So you don't make it out of the minor leagues, right? When, you, when you're looking at a fielding percentage, it needs to be up near 95, 96% to be considered good. That's what wisdom's more like. Wisdom's more like fielding percentage in baseball than it is batting average. There's some consistency that has to be there. And here's the good news for you and I. It's kind of good news, bad news. Let me start with the bad news. The bad news is none of us can be consistent in our wisdom. So, so give up, right? Don't even, don't even try. 
And that's, is that the response? No, but here's the deal. Wisdom does not come with us making efforts to crank it out. You don't get more wise by trying harder. You know how we consistently make wise decisions? When we consistently learn to walk by means of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God alone can produce consistency. You want to be consistent in wisdom? Walk by means of the Spirit of God. You want to be consistent loving others? Walk by means of the Spirit of God. You want to be consistent enjoying life and taking full joy in life? Walk by means of the Spirit of God. Solomon, the way he puts it in Ecclesiastes, is walk in the fear of the Lord. It's the same concept. It's a very similar concept. That as I walk, as I live, I'm constantly relying upon the resources that I possess in Jesus Christ. Recognizing that if I try to crank out the Christian life in my own strength, I will be a failure. I will not be consistent. I'll be on one day. I'll be off the other. And that's giving myself credit. Most of the time I'm on one minute and I'm off the other. Like to, to even put us a, a day together that's consistent is very difficult But when you walk by means of the Spirit of God, it's possible. God can accomplish great feats through you. Don't believe me? Read Hebrews 11. Every single one of the heroes of the faith did something, but how did they do it? Well, if you read through, you're going to see a repeated phrase. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, by faith, by faith. We walk by faith. We're saved by faith, but we walk by faith by faith as well. And the only way to be consistently wise and to take advantage of every moment that we possess on this earth is to walk by means of the Spirit and allow the the Spirit of God to begin to reveal His truth and how it applies to specific situations. That's wisdom in our life. And this is why it's so important. Because when folly hits, and folly means a lack of prudence or a lack of wisdom, a lack of insight, showing a lack of understanding, when that hits... Everything that you've been building up to is impacted. The, the, the impact has been, uh, the influence has been impacted, if you might want to say, say it that way. And see, this is why it's important. It's so important. I can't, we can't stress it enough. We've got to remind each other. Never get comfortable walking according to the flesh, even for one moment. And I'm talking on simple stuff. You know, like, I, I get it. You know, New Link uh, bills you $5 too much. The electric company, they, they're billing you too much. The, you know, AT&T, AT&T is always the worst. They like to always slide in like $3 charges and hope you don't catch it, right? And I know you want to get on that phone. You've been frustrated with your spouse. You've been frustrated with your kids. There's something going on at work. You're frustrated about something. And now the AT&T operator is the person I can rip and roar and let it loose on with no consequences, this is, the way, this is the way we think. Or I can rip and roar and cut it loose on somebody that's driving next to me on the road, and we think that that's a pass, that's, that's, that's a free pass, that that's, uh, sorry to use another sport, and I'll, it's like a mulligan, right? It's like it's just a free shot. I, I can just let it rip. And we don't understand that in that moment, as we yield and present ourselves to the sin nature, we are dominated by the sin nature. And, and for most, most of us, we're okay with that. In fact, we laugh about it at family gatherings when we retell the story of how we ripped this 21-year-old girl who didn't know us from Adam, how we just ripped into her and told her how it was. Well, good for you. That, I mean, I'm talking to myself, by the way. I, the reason I know about these things is that I've done these things, right? 
Well, good for you, John Clark. Well, you really let her have it. Wow, that was really honoring to the Lord, wasn't it? We have this joke in our family that when I do things like that, my, my wife, she'll just say, good job, Pastor Clark. <laughs> it's the, only, the only time she addresses me as Pastor Clark is when I'm ripping off into the flesh on somebody. But good for her. I need someone to point it out to me because I, I actually think I'm justified in that moment. And yet, I don't know why I think it's okay to walk according to the flesh, even for one moment, even in a safe environment where I'm just on the phone yelling at somebody on the other line. Why is that okay? Why is that okay? Why is that worth being knocked out of fellowship with the Lord? And it's not, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not worth it. And that's why when we get to verse two, he's gonna say that, you know, wise men, they're gonna value the internal. See, legalists, only value the external. How am I going to show and convince everybody that I'm spiritual? Well, I'm going to put on this external facade. And and maybe it's not even like I'm intentionally doing it, but I do want people to think well of me. And so I'm going to portray an external thing. But you know what? If my heart's not right, I don't really care as long as everyone else sees what's going on externally and approves of it, I'm good. But I'll disregard what's going on in my heart. I'll disregard what's going on in my attitude. I'll disregard what's going on in my thinking. Somebody comes up to me. I don't like them. I don't get along with them. When they come up, I put on a smile. I ask about them. I act like I care about them. They go away. And in my heart, I say, good riddance. I hope they never talk to me again. And I'm okay with that internally. Now, they never saw that. They don't know that I'm a roaring jerk underneath the surface toward them. They think I'm actually a nice guy. They think I actually like talking to them. They might even go home and say, wow, that John Clark, he's a great guy. And I'm okay with that. This, this is what's fascinating. I would imagine that if we're all being honest, that we, we can relate to that statement. There are times where our internal heart attitudes, our internal motives, our internal thinking do not match up with the way we behave externally. And we do it so that people will think better of us. And you know what? Wise people don't live that way. Wise people are cognizant of what's going on, as we've said before, under the hood. Because if you don't pay attention in a car to what's going on under the hood, you're going to end up stranded on the side of a road somewhere someday, right? It, it will eventually manifest itself. And see, wise people don't do that. And we're going to see that in verse 2. He says, a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left and so to say that a wise man's heart is at his right hand, we've got to understand that with, with, in the Hebrew, the, the imagery is, of the heart is the very core of a person. That's what he's talking about, his, his very inner core, your intellect, your seat of emotions, your true inner self. And to say that it's at your right hand emphasizes a place of honor, a place of value, a place of um, security protection from danger. That was the, the honored spot. And so the idea is that a wise man's heart, the, that inner core of who he is, is sitting right next to him in the most honored spot that he can place it in. He values that more than anything else. And it's not that he doesn't value externals, right? We want to see that as we're rightly related to the Lord, he's going to turn our focus out to serve one another. So it, hopefully it does end up externally like that where people can see it, but it starts here. It's got to start here. 
Otherwise, it's got no value, and otherwise, you can't be consistent with it. Again, this is uh, another way of saying walking by means of the Spirit, being aware of what's going on under the hood so that we can confess our sin when needed to be restored back to fellowship with the Lord. And so a wise man realizes that their inner man is very important to attend to, to protect, to value, to take time to cultivate through fellowship with the Lord. Every moment counts. Wise men realize that things go haywire internally before they go haywire externally. And they address it immediately. They're, they're quick to address attitudes and bad thinking and irritableness. You ever just wake up and you're just irritable? That's because you're carnal. <laughs> it's, it's not because somebody did something to you. It's because you're walking by means of the flesh. You're walking according to the flesh. That's why you're irritable. All of these things are internal indicators that if we just ignore, it will explode externally at some point. You will be exposed at some point. As a, as a person who is not consistently wise. You know, Paul addresses this in Ephesians 3.16. He actually addresses it in a prayer. This is what he prays for the Ephesian believers. He says that he would grant you, speaking of God, according to the riches of his glory. By the way, does, does God's riches ever go out? No, it's like a treasure chest that doesn't have a bottom. Like he's, you just keep reaching down. He's, so it's according to his riches of his glory... To do what? To be strengthened where? With might through his spirit in the inner man. Paul is talking about the same thing that Solomon's talking about here in verse 2. Your inner man, attending to your inner man, having a pure conscience, all of these things come together to address this most important need of, of our internal lives before the Lord. That's what he's talking about here. And wise people, they know that. You know, and I don't mean this in a crude way, but wise people really don't care what everybody thinks about them. And it's not, that's not in a rude way. It's not like, you know, a 16-year-old rebellious teenager. I don't care what anyone thinks. It's not that at all. It's that they're, they're not impacted by that. They're more interested in what the Lord thinks about them. And, you know, we would sit in a car. I mean, I think I've told this story before, but Hey, you're going to hear some repeated stories from time to time. But I remember driving my, my, daughter, my oldest daughter, Abby. She was um, maybe 12 years old at the time. We were driving in a, on a freeway in Dallas. And I could give you a lot more details, but that would really make the story long. Let's just say that somebody cut me off. And immediately in my heart, I was, I mean, I was fire hot mad. So number one, I usually get mad when people cut me off, even if I'm by myself. I get doubly mad when somebody cuts me off and, and one of my family members are in the car, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm just burning. Like I'm probably seeping through my chest with like, I don't know, melted cinnamon hots. I mean, I'm just fired up. And, 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 and in that split second, the Lord reminds me, I've got my daughter sitting next to me, right? So I don't say anything. I don't, you know, I don't give the international sign language greeting. I don't do any of that stuff, right? <laughs> So I kind of behave. And you know, I was actually pretty proud of myself. I was kind of patting myself on the back. And I dropped her off at volleyball practice. And I used to go to the Dunkin' Donuts for a couple hours and study. And I would go pick her up. And it was after I ordered my donut, probably after my second bite. And I realized, you know what? I didn't say anything. But I was still, my, my insides were sinful. <laughs> I, I had just my thought process, my reaction was carnal. 
And it just dawned on me right then and there. I, you know what? I might have been better off saying something or doing something because then at least I wouldn't have been deceived thinking that I had done something good. At least I would have known I was a, a sinner in need of God's grace, in need of God's empowerment. And I went an entire 30 minutes thinking, man, I am a great Christian. I am growing spiritually. Wow, I, my daughter's probably so impressed that her dad is so spiritual. And I wasn't spiritual at all. I was just as carnal if I would have just let it rip. And I didn't even know because I didn't understand this concept until the Lord taught it. And it's a subtle, it's a subtle concept, but we need to be cognizant of it. Every moment counts. We're not taking time off in our Christian life. We don't shift into neutral ever. We're always proactively pursuing the Lord. And that is so important. So wise men have their heart at the right hand. Um, yeah, and I don't think that's the GOP, Sean, but I, I, I hear you, man. I hear you. So, but the fools, what do they do? They, they've got it on the left hand. And, and, that, and that gives us the imagery too. They don't care about the internal. They don't care about what's going on under the hood. Fools could care less. The fool doesn't value or protect their, their inner self. A fool's lack of wisdom exposes themselves to great vulnerability. In fact, just to kind of get into the culture and the, and the word use here, the, the word left uh, is synonymous with evil. In fact, the, the Latin word for left hand means sinister. It, it's kind of got that concept out, you know, throughout history. There's, there's something valuable about the right hand. There's something less valuable and untrustworthy uh, about the left. In fact, uh, a fool's heart is said to be at his left. It, it indicates that the heart is directed toward the left, that he's, that he's deceptive. He's untruthful as well. And, you know, foolishness can never stand up on its own merits. It's always, it always covers for itself. It always covers for itself with lies, deception, cheating, stealing. It's got to to make it work, and yet it becomes this vicious Vicious cycle, foolishness, more foolishness to cover that up, more foolishness to cover that up, more foolishness to, to portray what they're trying to play. I mean, it, it's this vicious cycle that if, if we're not valuing the, inter, the internal. See, fools don't care about the internal. They only care what people think about them. They only care about the image that they're giving off. They don't give a rip about what's going on inside. And, and you know, that's... That's tragic because many believers take that same approach. They're more interested in how their church body views them or accepts them than really what's going on between them and the Lord. And trust me, that should always be the focus. What's happening between you and Jesus Christ? How are things going between you and Jesus Christ? That's really the question. Not does your pastor think well of you, your elders think well of you, your friends think well of you, this Bible study group, they think you know everything because you quote all. It, none of that matters when, when that relationship with Jesus Christ is lacking and, and you're not even paying attention to it. And so he contrasts this, this difference between a wise man in, in his view of a heart uh, and the fool's view. Now, verse three says this, that even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom. And he shows everyone that he is a fool. And so we're going to see that, that fools, even if they're walking on a path that's, that's a good path, what we're going to see is that it, their, their conduct's going to be reflected, uh, or their conduct's going to reflect their foolishness. We're going to see that in two different ways. And the first way, in terms of his exposures, is he's going to lack wisdom. 
So even if a fool ends up on the right path for a time, because they lack the skill to apply knowledge to all these individual circumstances in life, they're going to be exposed as a fool. They, they can't fake it too long. At some point, it's all going to be revealed. That they're just going along this path. They're, they're, they're literally, you know, what's interesting is the phrase, some of you that have a different version than New King James, you, you're going to see this in your version, your translation. The New King James says he lacks wisdom. What's really interesting there is the word wisdom's not used, it's the word heart. He, I think it's tying back to verse 2. He lacks heart. I think some of the other versions, ESV, NIV, says he lacks sense. And it's something equivalent to that. But it's the word heart. He, he's going to get exposed. He lacks heart. He, he lacks that desire to pay attention to what's going on internally. He doesn't, he doesn't develop it. He gives no attention to developing that. And as a result, he's going to be exposed as a fool. It's going to come out. He cannot be consistent. He can't even be fake consistently. Eventually, that's going to spill through. And you know, circumstances and trials, difficult people in your life have a way of exposing that in each one of us. And the problem for for many of us as Christians is we don't like to be exposed. And so when we're exposed, instead of addressing it through confession of sin, we cover up. We go into cover up mode because we don't like to be exposed. And it's actually a gift of God when you're exposed. It's a gift. It's an absolute gift that he provides for each one of us. And yet, many times we don't take the full benefit of it because we try to cover up instead of coming clean. Have you ever done something wrong that eventually you came clean on? That you were dreading? You just, you were just like, I, I can never come clean on this. But you decided one day, I'm coming clean on that. And, and the, the weight lifted off your shoulders when you did that. Isn't that incredible that it works that way? Isn't it incredible that, that as, as, as First John talks about walking, stepping into the light, that there's freedom in that? There's benefit in that? And yet many Christians miss out on that. We miss out on the blessing that is because we're so busy covering up, trying to look good, trying to smell good, trying to talk good, trying to be thought of well. And, and we just miss out on these opportunities. So circumstances have this way Trials, difficult people have this way of exposing uh, a fool. They could have, uh, you know, fools can face similar problems before, but because the circumstances and situations are not exactly the same, they, they, fools tend to revert back to their old foolish ways in handling them. You see this a lot um, when, you're, when you're working through conflict with other people. Are you really growing through conflict or do you face conflict, kind of get out of one conflict, come into another conflict, and then just handle it the same way you've always handled it? Or do you actually make progress and begin to handle conflict with wisdom and grace and openness and, and humility, stepping into the light? And many people, they never even learn those things. It's, it's almost like every conflict is brand new. There's no, there's no similarities. And that's what I'm seeing about wisdom. You know, wisdom sees similarities and connections. They, wisdom is very solution-oriented. Folly sees differences in each situation, and, and they see every problem as unique that they've never faced before, and they're problem-oriented. That's one of the differences between wisdom and folly. And I've used that example before, being a former math teacher, you know, trying to, to teach kids a math problem, giving them 15 of the same exact problems, and then shifting a number or an order and say, okay, now try this one. And, and instead of seeing the similarities and moving forward, they're like, oh, I've never seen this problem before in my life. 
I'm like, yes, you have. You've just done 15 of them. I just moved this and this, and it's the exact same. Oh, I'm, I'm lost. I don't know what to do. What do you mean you're lost? You just did 15 of them. All I did was switch these two things. Oh, I can't do it, Mr. Clark. I can't. I... And it... Now, don't, don't feel bad if that's your math experience. That's pretty common, actually. But, it, but it's that concept that we're talking about. It's like right now I've got a remote control in my bedroom for the TV. And every once in a while it doesn't work. And I have a really strategic way of making it work. I take it like this and I bang it on my nightstand. And it starts working again. But you know what? If I went out to the living room and the remote didn't work, I wouldn't say, wow, this is a remote problem. I have no idea what to do. Probably the first thing I do is what? Bang it on the night, <laughs> bang it on the coffee table, at least try it. It works in the bedroom, right? So you're trying to see similarities in life. Fools don't do that. Every situation is unique. That way they can't make progress because every situation is like they faced it for the first time. Never faced this before. And yet, as you grow in wisdom, as we grow in relationship with the Lord, it may be a different situation, but we can say, you know what? When this happened before, God provided for me. When this situation went wrong, God came in and he delivered. You remember how he, he, he helped? And Carrie and I, we had to do this often. We have to remind each other that the situation we're facing is, it may be unique to today, but it's not unique to God. He's provided for us. He's cared for us all throughout our lives as a married couple. It may not be exactly the same except when your basement floods five times. And that is exactly the same. But God provides in those instances. And so when something else happens, we can go back and recognize and rely on the character of God to do exactly what he's done in the past. Now, a second way that Verse 3 tells us that he's been exposed as a fool. Um, it just says simply, he shows everyone that he's a fool. Um, you know, he, 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 just, he just is exposed as a fool, we see here. And, um, you know, this, this right here is a great message for anyone who, who simply overvalues wisdom in and of itself. And, I, and I've heard this before, and I've probably said this before. And I think there's small amount of truth to the statement, but I still don't like it. And that is, if you apply biblical wisdom, even if you're an unbeliever, even if you're out of fellowship with the Lord, you'll still benefit from it. You've probably heard that before. I've said it before. Um, you know, I don't like it because true wisdom, according to the Bible, is, is completely hooked up to. It's, it's trailer, if you will, is, is hooked up to the truck of fearing the Lord, of being in fellowship with the Lord. And this is, this is why sometimes wisdom, as I say here in the notes, without divine perspective or wisdom that's, that's obtained without spiritual growth is not true wisdom. It, it cannot be consistently applied. You may benefit from it from time to time because it's, it's wisdom, there's truth there, and, and so truth is what it is, it does what it does. But in terms of like benefiting from it, being consistent, it's not gonna happen unless we're in fellowship with the Lord. Those two things have to be hooked up to one another. And so many times fools don't think this way. They think, well, I can just get some wisdom principles. I can just go on this path. I can just apply this from time to time. And they don't understand that they're gonna lack consistency and that they're not gonna make every moment count. And so very important, I think, to notice that and bring that out here. Now, as we move to verse four, we, we're gonna look at some observations about dealing with civil governing authorities. Again, he's coming back to that and he's gonna give us one exhortation on how we deal with it, but he's just gonna provide some, some observations. And his observations are much like Solomon. He's, he's gonna tell us that it doesn't work right all the time. It doesn't work the way it should all the time, but there is a good and wise response regardless. 
of what the civil government is doing. And so in verse 4, he sets the stage. He says, if the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offenses. And so when he talks about uh, this ruling one or coming against you in some way, it could be a, a verbal thrashing. It could be an emotional berating. It could be a threat of physical harm either to, to you or one of your family members. And he says, when this happens, there's a right response to it. Now, the right response is going to be unnatural. It's going to be divine. It's going to be a spiritual response. And the wrong response is going to be the natural response. And this, we can relate to this if we're being honest with ourselves. The other thing that we see before we kind of move on is the, the verb aspect of the word rises. It's, it's not a one-time event. This isn't that your boss or your, the civil government just blew up at you one time. This is an ongoing pattern of behavior. This is how, you know, this is how it always is. Like we shouldn't really probably say that in situation, but this is how it always is. This is an ongoing pattern of behavior. This, this verbal, um, uh, you know, berating or thrashing, if you will. So coming out of a, a section discussing the dangers of folly, Solomon's going to give a wise response to the situation. How do you respond when this is going on? Well, what, is a, what would a fool do? What would, what would your natural response be when someone attacks you consistently, consistently mistreats you? I mean, I don't think we have to think too hard about that. We, we fight back. We retaliate. Maybe we remove ourselves from the situation. Maybe we say, you know what? If they're going to treat me like that, I'm going to stop doing my job so hard. I'm, I'm going to cut out early. I'm going to take an extra 15 minutes for lunch. They, can't, they don't appreciate me. They don't give me a raise. I'm, you know, I'm just going to pull back. That's the natural response. We, we all understand that response. That's how we naturally want to respond to this situation. But Solomon is going to say something different. He's basically going to say, don't be insubordinate. Don't Leave your post. And because this command is given in the third person, it it could be worded, don't let yourself leave your post. See, fools never benefit from a situation like this because they never remain in the heat of correction. The second the temperature gets turned up a little bit, they're like, I'm out. I don't like heat. I don't like this, this treatment, so I am out of here. And fools miss out on the benefit of what the Lord wants to do. And you say, benefit? How could that benefit a believer? Just sit around and get, just sit around and get thrashed and beaten up and put down and mistreated. How could that benefit the believer? Well, you know, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus was reviled. Uh, he was beaten. He was criticized. And the scripture says that Jesus said, you just wait till I come down on this cr- from this cross, I'm going to get you, right? Is that what he said? <laughs> no, he doesn't say that at all. In fact, it says that Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. And, and you know, that is a benefit that each one of us can possess in a situation like this. Don't leave your post, work as unto the Lord. We should have been doing that anyways in our job. We're not working for a raise. We're not working for just the approbation of men. We are working in whatever we do is unto the Lord. That should not change. And yet in a situation where we're being mistreated, the Spirit of God can produce self-control in your life. He can do something supernatural 
in your life to cause you to stand out and possibly give testimony to Jesus Christ in your life as you and I learn to entrust ourselves to the one who judges righteously instead of going out to defend ourselves. That is kind of a common refrain in the scriptures. So Solomon says, don't leave your post. And to have left one's post in this culture was to say that they shirked their duty. They just left their authority in a vulnerable situation. Um, they could actually allow a breach in security if they did this. And in many situations, allowing enemy forces to get into camp. And so why? Why should we do this, Solomon? He's going to give us a reason. In fact, you look at verse 4, you're going to see the word for. That very last phrase, F-O-R, gives us the reason. Gives us the reason why he gives us instruction. He says, conciliation pacifies great offenses. Now, conciliation just means calmness, composure, contented emotional state or attitude. And this type of calm response has an incredible effect. It says that it pacifies. It, it, it calms down this, this highly emotional ruler in your life. It, it actually has an impact. Your, your response has an impact on, on how they will now respond. This is hard to believe because this doesn't, this doesn't fit our natural mode of thinking, right? I, I remember, you know, the instruction of my dad growing up. And, you know, he grew up in a different era. And, and it was, it, this instruction was this. If you've got a bully at school, you punch him first so he can't punch you, right? And it was like kind of this retaliation, you know, because he used to tell me bullies don't like to get punched in the nose. They like to punch other people in the nose, but they don't like to get punched. And I was like, as a kid, I'm trying to make sense of like what I'm learning at church and what my dad's telling me. Like, how does this, how does this fit together? You know, that was kind of, but that is a natural way to think. Retaliate, protect yourself, act out. Don't, don't take that from anybody. Don't allow that to happen. Supernatural viewpoint is different. Divine viewpoint is different. A wise viewpoint is different. This is what Solomon uh, is getting at. You know, Proverbs 15.1 puts it this way. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And you don't have to go no farther in, in life just to see that than, than the Middle East, right? It's, it's always retaliation. It's always eye for an eye. It, the killing there is never going to stop until somebody puts down their sword and say, okay, you got the last one in, we're done. But it doesn't happen that way. It's retaliation, 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 retaliation. And that's how it goes back and forth. And that is the human nature of man. So at some level, the spirit of God wants to break that cycle in and through our life. And these are difficult situations. Let's not call them anything else than what they are. But he wants to do something different. And so when he talks about conciliation, this is a wise, and I would say an unnatural response. Unnatural, because the natural response, it's the response of fools. Let me return anger for anger. Let me insult for insult. Let me execute vengeance. Let me get a little bit more of a, of a piece of their flesh than they got of mine. That's the response. This is when we've been over this, but Romans 12, you know, addresses this. Repay no one evil for evil. By the way, why does Paul have to instruct believers in this? Because we have a tendency to do this. <laughs> we, we have a tendency to respond just like the world would in these situations. But repay no one for evil, no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And as we said when we were studying through Romans, do you think God 
can give it to them a little better than you ever could? Yes. So just wait on him. Allow him to take care of it because he's going to judge in perfect justice. Now, he's going to mention something here as we go on. He's going to stay in the category of, of a, a ruler or a govern, government or, or even a boss. But in this case, it's going to be more civil, I think, civil government emphasis in verses 5 through 7. We'll kind of finish up with these three verses here. But verses 5 through 7 says this, There is an evil uh, I have seen under the sun as an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, while the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses, while princes walk on the ground like servants. And so when we talk about uh, Solomon seeing here, he calls it an evil. Whatever Solomon is observing here with this ruler, he calls it an evil. Literally, he says it's wicked. It's, it's a wrongdoing. It causes harm. And, and the word that he uses here uh, reflects a mistake not, not done intentionally, but rather causing unintentional harm. So it's not like the ruler is trying to cause harm here, but the ruler makes a decision here that causes harm. This is what he's talking about. This is uh, an evil. And so, um, again, it's not intentional. So even though the, the intention is not, to, is not to harm, the harm is still there. The harming of others is still there. And so what is it? Well, we're going we're gonna to see as we go through the verse. And one of the things that you see uh, in verse 6 is that folly is set in great dignity while the rich sit in a lowly place. This is the unintentional, part of the unintentional evil that proceeds from the ruler that Solomon uh, mentioned. And one of the things that we learn about folly is that it should be kept away from the seats of power for a couple of reasons. One, it sets a bad example. Um, and, then, and then it puts people in places of, of power where they can wreak havoc on societies through their, their ignorant and foolish decisions that they make. And so he says, man, this is bad. I, you know, it's not like the, you know, the ruler probably just put their brother-in-law in that position, but because he's such a fool, there's going to be some unintentional harm in the decisions that this guy makes. And this is kind of what Solomon is observing here. So again, folly just means one who's senseless or stupid or lacking understanding. And in this case, they're given possession or control of something. And it ends up being a negative thing in the realm of authority. But he says he puts them in great dignity. Again, he he exalts them. That's actually the word. He exalts them to an elevated position. And um, the problem with that in Solomon's mind is it's evil. Because folly is then, by, by default, is given this great prominent realm or almost approval in this ruler's realm of authority. And then he, on the flip side, he promotes folly. That's what we see in verse 6. But he also demotes a, a rich man. It's kind of interesting there because I think he uses a rich man uh, synonymously with wisdom. And, and the idea is that this rich man has got um, has, has made wise decisions to contribute to success in life. And those are the kind of people you want helping you rule the kingdom. So he, he's contrasting this evil. He's like he's promoting folly, but he's demoting wisdom or somebody that's got uh, success. And so rich is, the rich person is placed in a lowly position. It says that they sit. It's kind of representative of a, of a, a, a lack of prominence uh, for this person. Uh, again, the, the verbal aspect used here is ongoing, so they dwell in humble conditions. It's not like he just chose them in this, situ- this situation to sit him down. It's that he remains there in a humble situation, not valued, not looked to, uh, to help with the decision-making or running of that country. And often 
Uh, as I mentioned, rich people are rich due to extremely wise investments, good decisions, dealings with others. So I think he just switches metaphors here, but I think he's still contrasting folly and wise. And what he's going to say is this is backwards. And he uses this example in verse 7, which in a society of Solomon's day, this would have made a lot of sense. You know, servants typically walked and, and princes typically rode horses. That was, you know, they don't, they don't walk around. They don't use their feet. They, the horse takes them around. And he said this is the exact opposite uh, as what he's seeing. And, and he uses this everyday illustration to illustrate um, this evil thing. Again, horses were common military animals. And so probably what he's saying here is he's seeing servants lead armies into battle. And he's seeing the, the princes who are actually trained to be leaders in the battle, they're the ones that are with the infantry. <laughs> they're, the, they're the guys that are going out on the front line that are probably going to lose their life quicker uh, than anything else. So, so what is all this passage? You know, see, we kind of shifted some thoughts as we worked through the passage this morning, but what does it all have in common? And, and I think what it has in common is it emphasizes the value of wisdom. It emphasizes this concept that, that every moment counts, that, that every moment of carnality has the potential to cause you a lifetime of pain and hurt, and it's never, never worth it to dip your toe into sin and think, well, I'll just dip it in, and then I'll pull my foot back out, and I won't have to deal with it. The idea is the second that you present yourself to sin, Jesus says that the one who sins is a slave of sin. You may not feel like a slave. You may not hear the, the bars of the prison shut behind you. You may not feel the, the handcuffs on your wrist, but they are there. They are there. Every moment you present yourself to sin, you are a slave to sin. And so uh, my hope and my encouragement this morning is just to say, hey, let's, let's value every moment for Jesus Christ. Let's walk in fellowship every moment with Jesus Christ. Let's take advantage of the resources that we possess in Jesus Christ and understand that there is high value in that and it's never worth presenting ourselves to sin. Let's close there with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. I I don't think even as we sit here this morning, Lord, that, that the realization of the importance of every moment of our life probably sinks in at the level that it needs to. And yet, Lord, we want our lives to be reflective of, of you, reflective of your grace. We want our lives to bring you glory. We want you to, to push through our puny little branches as much fruit as you desire to produce in and through us as we simply abide in you and, and hang the fruit from our branch. Lord, that's our heart's desire. We know that apart from you, we can do nothing. We know that apart from you, we can't bear fruit. We can't live a life that's acceptable to you. Just emblazon in our thinking the need to, to walk with you, to be in fellowship with you during every moment of every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.